Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. When I tell you, we're going to talk about something on this podcast. I bet you've never heard a podcast on this theme before. The theme is stuttering. And I have as my guest here in the Beeson studio a person who is himself a stutterer. And he also has written a book about it called Famous Stutterers. My guest today on the Beeson podcast is our own Dr. Gerald McDermott. He's the Anglican Chair of Divinity here at Beeson Divinity School, a widely published and prolific author of many, many different books of theology and history, a world-renowned Jonathan Edwards scholar. We've we've had other discussions with him. Most recently, he's written a book on the New Christian Zionism. He's also written about world religions. But now he has this brand new book called Famous Stutterers. As I pointed out, he has some experience with this in his own life. So welcome, Gerald, to this podcast and to this topic today. Thank you, Dr. George. Let's begin by asking you to tell us your own experience with stuttering. I had a very difficult time learning how to speak. I was a very, very slow speaker, so it wasn't until I was um, three or four years old that I was actually getting out whole sentences that could be understood by anyone. Were your parents worried about you? Yes, they were. And when I went into kindergarten, the only one who could understand me was my mother. And I almost flunked kindergarten. (laughs) (laughs) Then when I got to first grade, uh, my first grade teacher, meaning well, would get me up in front of the class and try to teach me how to speak clearly in front of the class. And that developed into a stutter. Uh, And then all through school, I really didn't like school. Mm. Uh, I never really liked school until I got behind a lectern. (laughs) (laughs) And I would sweat rivers of living water down my sides in French class in high school because unlike Latin and Greek, which I also took in high school, I loved those because they were dead languages. You didn't have to speak them. Mm. In French, you had to open your mouth. And the whole class would sigh and groan when... The recitation exercise would come up and down the roads and come to McDermott because they knew McDermott. They'd have to wait and wait and wait while he got his words out. And, you know, I really learned kids are cruel Mm. toward people who are different, particularly kids, other kids like me who couldn't talk very well. So life is a stutter. I had a happy childhood, but it was a very unhappy parts of it in school and uh, speaking. And I never... Uh, I just struggled, struggled, struggled. I became a professor. And uh, strangely enough, uh, and, and I was a pastor before I was, uh, well, uh, along the way to becoming a professor. And I struggled through my sermons. And I would live in fear. And all stutterers live in fear mm. of the telephone ringing. They live in fear of conversations that... They can't control. So it was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears until I reached the age of 37. Uh, and that was the first time I got effective 
stuttering therapy. I want to ask you about that. But I would say uh, you are one of the most articulate and poised speakers I've ever heard. You speak with, with great authority and clarity in your voice. So you have had to deal with this and overcome this in your own life. Now, I want you to tell us how that mm-hmm. happened. But first of all, just for our general information, what is stuttering and what causes it and uh, how can it be dealt with in a clinical medical way? Well, stuttering is when you block on words. So instead of saying stuttering, you say and you go into contortions in your mouth and sometimes the rest of your body just trying to get the word out. What causes it? Uh, researchers are divided on that, like on most things. Uh, I happen to think that Ron Webster, Ronald Webster, who's this brilliant psychologist who developed the program at Holland's Communications Research Institute in Roanoke, Virginia, where I got my therapy, is right. I think he's right. He believes it's a neurophysiological problem like a learning disability, that some people, mostly boys, 80% of stutterers are boys, are born with. And so that really makes a lot of sense to me and it makes sense of my experience. Uh, And um, I dealt with it with blood, sweat, and tears for my first 37 years. And my parents sent me to various speech therapists. And most speech therapists, I don't know if it's still true today, but it was certainly true until fairly recently, really don't know how to cure stuttering. All they know how to do is help you to live with it. And that's what my previous speech therapist did. It never did any good uh, for me. Now, so, now, now, now I, I have to be careful here because uh, there, there are a lot of speech therapists who do an awful lot of good and have different ways of helping people with stuttering and improve their speech, if not cure it. So uh, my particular speech therapist, though, didn't help me. All they tried to do is help me think about how there's a lot of other people with speech problems, and I'm not the only one, and and everyone has some sort of speech difficulty. Well, I don't think that was actually true, Um, and so forth. But but when I was 37, I went to uh, three weeks, 12 hours a day, And basically what they do there at Holland's Communications Research Institute is teach you how to talk all over again. Mm. Teach you how to breathe and use the muscles and the nerves and so forth related to the speaking apparatus. Because they believe, and I think they're absolutely right, that stuttering is caused by the brain sending out the wrong message to the speaking apparatus. So the speaking apparatus gets the message to put on pressure, put on a lot of pressure to get the sound out, which is exactly the opposite of what produces fluent speech. And so what I learned in 12 hours a day, three three weeks, was how to breathe, how to move my vocal cords. I never knew I would have any control over my vocal cords. And how to move all these things up here near the jaw and my throat and my chest all the way down to my abdomen in order to speak. And at the end of the three weeks, I was a different person. And I was a, I, I had a, starting then at the age of 37, I had a whole new career. Now, you've written this book, Famous Stutters. We're going to talk about 
of this. And it's a profile, really, of a number of famous stutterers throughout history. Not all of them are Christian or religious people. But I want you to say a word. You're a theologian, and you're, you're a Christian minister. You're an Anglican priest. I want you to say a word about the spirituality of stuttering. Does God have anything to say or do about stuttering? Well, you know, my first chapter is on Moses. You know, the book goes, I tell people, from Moses to Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) And Moses was a stutterer. It's very clear. Uh, In Exodus 4, verse 10, it says in the Hebrew, uh, he tells God, I am heavy of mouth, kavod peh, uv kavod, ukvad lashon, and heavy of tongue. Mm. And there's a lot of evidence in the book of Exodus that Moses was a stutterer. And after Moses complains to God, and says, God, you've picked the wrong man when you want me to be a leader. And even when God says, look, I'll give you Aaron as your mouthpiece, Moses still complains. Mm -hmm. And then the biblical text says, God got angry. And God said, who do you think allowed you to have this? So according to the Bible, God's in charge of all disabilities, and stuttering is a kind of disability. God permits it for his own sovereign, mysterious purposes. And in my life, and I've written about this at various places, and I suggest it in this book, but I don't go into a theological case in this book. But in my life, I mean, it's kept me humble. It has taught me to listen, although I'm still not a very good listener. You know, stuttering helps you to listen because you can't get your words out. You might as well listen. (laughs) (laughs) And it, it was really teaches me about brokenness. And and as Martin Luther says, you know, you can't be a good theologian unless you go through pain and brokenness and, uh, you know, go to hell, so to speak. And stuttering, for a lot of us stutterers, uh, stuttering is a kind of hell. So it teaches us a lot about our, our limits, that we desperately need God just sometimes to be able to get a word out. You also have in that introductory chapter, Heavy of Tongue, the one about Moses, mm-hmm. a section called Compassion and Courage. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, you say there that experiencing this disability, mm-hmm. as you call it, mm-hmm. this, this mm-hmm. stuttering, mm-hmm. is a way of helping you to link with others who are also uh, at, at a disadvantage in life, as so many of us are in one mm-hmm. way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of, and I'm not, I'm not speaking literally here, I'm speaking figuratively. It's a kind of demon. And most people have, figuratively, some demon that they wrestle with that a lot of us are too ashamed to talk about. And so it gives you compassion for others. Uh, you, I wrestle with my own demon, and I know every, other people do. So it gives you compassion. Uh, I think it taught Moses courage. I mean, he had to have tremendous courage to keep on speaking in spite of his stuttering. Even though he had Aaron as a helper, Aaron didn't wasn't always there to help him. Uh, and so a lot of the uh, stutterers I profile in this book showed tremendous courage, tremendous courage. Uh, you know, politically and in other sorts of ways, people like Winston Churchill. And I think part of their courage, and Joshua Chamberlain, the great 
Yankee hero at the Battle of Gettysburg and then later in the Civil War and then later as governor of Maine uh, and president of Bowdoin College, a man of great courage. And I think they all the uh, you know a lot of these leaders who were tremendously courage uh, uh, courageous learned part of their courage by struggling with speaking because it takes courage to get out there and speak when you know you're going to mess up and you know you're going to uh, humiliate yourself. You just mentioned Winston Churchill, and most people would never think of him as a stutterer. I mean, he's one of the most famous orators, I'm sure, of the 20th century, maybe ever. Talk about Churchill and then also his great contemporary, the British monarch, George VI. Yeah, Churchill had a complicated series or collection of speech defects. He had a lisp, and I argue in the book against some Churchill scholars, but I argue, I think, on the basis of good evidence, and, and other Churchill scholars agree with me, uh, although I'm not a Churchill scholar, I don't claim to be, that Churchill also struggled with stuttering. And some of his contemporaries said exactly that. He was a stuttering. He, he, he had a problem getting his words out. Churchill, who became, as you say, one of the greatest orators in history, had an early failure in Parliament when he was a young man. Absolutely humiliating. He got up without notes, and he was just at a loss for words. And it was partly related to his speech defect, I think. And he learned ever after that he would never again get up to give a speech without 20 hours of practice for a 20-minute speech. Mm-hmm. And so he did this throughout the rest of his life. People don't know this. And, and he learned to practice his speeches very slowly and carefully in the bathtub, singing them. Mm-hmm. And all stutterers know that when we sing, we don't stutter. Mm-hmm. Mel, Mel Tillis, that's why Mel Tillis yeah. could become a famous stuttering country western singer because when you sing, no stutterer stutters. Fascinating. Now, I want to deal with a few of these other characters. Um, again, they, they, they run the range of human experience from the highest levels of Ivy League scholarship all the way to popular entertainment. I want you to say a little bit. I'll, I'll mention their names. Tell us a little bit about their story. Uh, you, you give us a whole chapter in the book on each one of these. But uh, let's begin with Marilyn Monroe. You mentioned her a while ago. Yeah, if you go to Google and punch in Marilyn Monroe stutterer, you'll find a YouTube, a little movie, uh, you know, five minutes of Marilyn talking about how she's been a stutterer all of her life, particularly as a teenager, and how it was so hard and difficult for her. Now, what seems to have happened, and I argue this in in that chapter, well, for instance, um, in, in one of her most famous movies, Some Like It Hot, there was a scene in there, a famous scene where she's coming into a, into a hotel and she's knocking on the hotel room door and the guy behind the door says, who is it? And she's supposed to say, it's me, Sugar. And that's eventually what comes out in the movie. But it took 47 takes mm. for her to get the words out. She blocked on Sugar. Now, the interesting thing about Marilyn is what she's so famous for is that breathy, so-called sexy voice made famous when she sang happy birthday at John F. Kennedy's birthday party. Well, it seems to be the case that when she first was becoming famous in Hollywood, her Hollywood studio sent her to a speech therapist, and they gave her excellent advice. It's a variation of what I was taught. 
that you don't try to push words out, that you go slowly and you use gentle onsets and mm. use as much of your breath as you can. Hence Marilyn Monroe's breathy voice. So that came from her <laughs> stuttering perhaps. Yes. And not an affectation for the purpose of uh, allurement. That's my argument. <laughs> and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, you know, when I was a student at Harvard, um, mm. Dr. Peter Brown of Princeton University came to give a lecture, a public lecture. And in case there's anyone listening who doesn't know who Peter Brown is, he's just one of the great classical scholars of our time, most famous perhaps for his magisterial biography of Augustine of Hippo, written many other things on late antiquity and classical times. Anyway, I went to hear him because I'd read some of his works, and it was a great beginning of a lecture. He got us right into it, and then began to stutter. And it seemed to me, I didn't know that he was a stutterer. It seemed to me that he went for, I don't know, five or six or seven minutes or more stuck on the same syllable. Duh, 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 duh. Until everybody in the room was so uncomfortable. And then somehow, and I have no idea how, he just picked right up at the very syllable where he left off mm -hmm. and continued flawlessly throughout the entire rest of the lecture. I'll never forget that. Mm -hmm. Now, you actually interviewed mm -hmm. Professor Peter mm -hmm. Brown. Tell us about that. He's such a prince of a man, so gracious, and he, he gave me about an hour and a half to interview him in his home in Princeton several years ago. And Peter grew up as a religious minority in uh, uh, Dublin, Ireland, as a Protestant in Catholic Dublin, and terrible stutterer all through his youth. He told me stories about how he, as a boy, he would run an errand for his mother to go to the store to get some food, and he couldn't get the words out to the clerk, and it would be absolutely humiliating. Oh, every stutterer knows what's that, what, what that's like. And, you know, Peter Brown, um, uh, he basically has learned what Jack... Welch's philosophy is. Jack Welch was the CEO of General Electric, one of the most important leaders in business in the United States in the mid-20th century, well, late 20th century. And Jack Welch is a terrible stutterer. He wouldn't give me an interview, and so he's not in the book. <laughs> but Jack Welch's philosophy is basically, I think, Peter Brown's, although Peter's a deep Christian and, and, and he would bring God into it. But Jack Welch's philosophy, and I'm not going to use his exact words, but you can guess immediately what his exact words are. When he was asked, Jack Welch, how can you be this international uh, you know, business titan and also be a stutterer? And you stutter profusely and often. He says, I don't give a darn. Mm -hmm. uh, that last word is not the exact word he used. Um, that's sort of Peter Brown's. Mm -hmm. Although Peter Brown, like all of us, has gone through tremendous shame and self-hatred and self-anger. But but, you know, he's a mature scholar now, lectures all over the world, and he basically doesn't give a darn. How about that? Now, another figure you deal with here is one of my favorite writers. I never met him, uh, but I've read a lot about him and by him. His John Updike, mm -hmm. who passed away just a few years ago. You call him America's last true man of letters. Tell us about mm -hmm. John Updike. Well, Updike, of course, won so many awards. He was such a gifted, gifted man of words but not always gifted man of spoken words. 
struggled with stuttering all of his life, and he wrote about it. Uh, he wrote quite quite a bit about his own stuttering and the particular kinds of audiences where he would stutter more because feeling insecure, and that's true. When stutterers feel insecure and fearful, they 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 tend they typically stutter more. Um, he was another guy never got any any therapy that really did much good. Um, and once again, I want to say a lot of speech therapists do wonderful good for stutterers, but but he didn't, and I didn't until Hollins. Um, but he found that when he was tired, he stuttered more. Uh, when he drank too much, he stuttered more. And he also learned what I learned at Hollins is that so many times when we stutter or stutter, we don't breathe the way the rest of the population breathes. We try to get too many words out on one breath. And we don't start over and just take another breath. But the brilliant uh, thing that Ron Webster found at Hollins was that even when stutterers are, are not stuttering and speaking uh, fluently, they don't breathe or move these muscles up by the neck in the same way that the non-stuttering population does. And that's why we have to go for two or three weeks to Hollands and learn how to speak and move and breathe and move all these muscles all over again. Let me ask you about two figures who are from the world of television where mm-hmm. speech and articulate clarity is so important. One is Byron Pitts, who's an mm-hmm. ABC News correspondent. The other, John Stossel, who mm-hmm. I think is on Fox News mm-hmm. as a journalist and speaks mm-hmm. in many different ven- venues. Tell us mm-hmm. about Byron Pitts and John Stossel. Yeah, Byron Pitts, I had the great privilege of interviewing him uh, in Virginia when he came to Virginia to give a, um, a speech. He was very generous with his time. Byron is a great, uh, as you said, a TV journalist. He, he was on 2020, ABC News, CBS News, covered um, you know, the Iraq War, the White House. And Byron grew up in poverty in Baltimore, stuttered, didn't learn how to read till he was about 11 years old, had tremendous handicaps, but he pushed through. He still stutters. Uh, and I tell some stories in that chapter of times when on, on the air he has stuttered. But he has learned, too, to practice, practice, practice to plan, plan, plan ahead of time, to work work really, really, really hard to plan all of his stories on air. Uh, John Stossel, he was also very generous with his time, gave me a long interview. Uh, John Stossel, his niche that he has is to do investigative journalism, the kind that no one else does on TV, to find things no one else is finding. And he says that happened to him because he was um, a stutterer. Because mm. early on, he got into TV broadcasting and he had a humiliating breakdown on air. And he realized then that he better um, stop doing that and do this investigative reporting of these slow motion stories, as he puts it. In, in health, in the economy, things that take real, real research, th- these things that aren't explosive uh, immediately on the screen but are developing invisibly, and he finds these things. Uh, and he went, to, he went into this because he realized he couldn't be a typical TV re- reporter who has to go to a news conference and um, get, you know, a stand-up and, and shout out, a question at a president on cue because he couldn't get the words up. Uh, 
So it's contributed to his being a very successful research reporter, finding things that other reporters don't find. A word about Annie Glenn. Annie Glenn was just delightful. She, too, gave gave me a long, long interview. Um, Annie Glenn's stuttering was really severe, much more severe than most of the rest of us. She's the wife of John Glenn. The wife of John Glenn, who, of course, was a famous astronaut and then uh, U.S. senator from Ohio. And Annie Glenn is in the movies. There was a great movie, The Right Stuff, back in, I think, the early 90s about the first uh, nine astronauts or, or seven astronauts. And there was a famous scene where John Glenn um, is waiting to lift off and the whole world is watching. And Lyndon Bain Johnson, who was the you know, Kennedy's vice president then, goes to the Glenn House in Ohio to interview Annie because – you know, Johnson wanted to get in front of a TV camera, as was his want. And and it's in the movie, and he knocks on the door, and Annie refuses to come out onto the front lawn and appear, answer a question before a TV camera. Johnson didn't know this, but it was because she couldn't get words out, and she knew she wouldn't be able to speak. Hmm. And Johnson throws a temper tantrum. There's this wonderful scene. He's inside this huge black limo in front, and the limo is rocking back and forth on its wheels because Johnson is throwing himself around in a temper tantrum inside the limo. So uh, so then the camera switches to John, who's down at Cape Canaveral, and the reporters are – or no, somebody from the Johnson – entourage is calling John and saying, John, you know, why can't you talk your wife into doing it? It's important for the country. <laughs> and John says, Annie, oh, and then Annie gets on the line. And Annie says, I can't, John, I can't. And John says, Annie, you don't then. So he stood up to the vice president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she, she, she's a great lesson to all of us because she never got her therapy, her breakthrough, until she was in her 50s. And for almost 50 years, I mean, she was a mother and wife of a senator and so forth, and she could barely talk. She was a severe stutterer, and yet she was always happy. She never let stuttering define her. She never let stuttering get in the way of finding basic happiness. I'm talking with my colleague, uh, Dr. Gerald McDermott, about a book he's just published called Famous Stutterers. It's the story of 12 people who achieved great things in their lives while struggling with a speech impediment, stuttering. And you conclude this book uh, by giving us uh, 12 lessons, wonderful lessons for stutterers. And you say, and the rest of us, because this is not only for stutterers, it's for all people who deal with difficulties in their life. And many of us know or are friends or maybe have family members who are stutterers. So this has great application. But even to those of us who are not, we can learn something here. Uh, let's just go through those 12. Would you just review those for us very quickly? Sure. The first is it's not the end of the world. Yes, stuttering is a pain. It makes us stutterers feel angry, discouraged, and frustrated. But there are worse things in life. I think of Stephen Hawking, the brilliant physicist who's not only paralyzed by Lou Gehrig's disease but can't speak. The problem for all of us human beings, not just stutterers, is is the temptation to become self-obsessed. And, and we have to realize that there's more to life than our particular demon. Moses was forced out of his self-pity by God challenging him to become a leader even with your stuttering. 
Uh, a second one is stuttering need not prevent great success. I mean, all these famous stutters, they accomplished great things. In fact, some became excellent speakers anyway. Winston Churchill, John mm. Stossel. Third, perseverance and self-discipline are powerful tools. Demosthenes is in here. Now, I argue he wasn't a stutterer, even though he's typically portrayed as one, but he did have a speech defect, and by practicing with pebbles in his mouth, with great dogged determination, he became the greatest orator of the ancient world, some people would say. Uh, so the lesson is don't give up. Work hard. Four, look for your own creative ways to get better. Uh, every single one of these stutters, uh, very few of them got cured, if any, but they all found their own creative ways to deal with it and move on. So um, Joshua Chamberlain, the great Civil War hero, he still stuttered on one out of every ten words, but he would skip lightly over them, and he would use the act of will and learn about breathing to to still become a, uh, an, an excellent public speaker. Five, use stuttering to your advantage. So, so King George is sick, and you asked me to talk mm -hmm. about him, and I, and I forgot to. So, so King George, he was greatly helped by his Australian speech therapist, as in the movie The King's Speech. But he never completely overcame it. But he used it to his advantage as a king. He was a great listener. And during World War II, he toured the country but during the battle for Britain, he toured the country and listened to people. And the, the British people loved him for it. And as word got out, he became a people's favorite because here was the great king who was an empathetic listener. Six, let stuttering do the work in you which it has done in others, deepening their character. You know, Moses, I argue, uh, learned humility partly because of his stuttering. Uh, in fact, the Bible says he was the most humble man on earth. Uh, he recognized he wasn't perfect, and he needed help from others. Your, your own pain can cause you, can help you to feel the pain of others and to express to them your consolation. Uh, number seven, ponder, ponder the benefits which your particular demon has brought you. Uh, in, in our case, the benefits that stuttering has brought us. Uh, helps us to listen, help, helps us to become empathetic, uh, helps us to slow down, at least when we're speaking. Number eight, don't take yourself so seriously. Learn to laugh. Laughter, you know, as the Bible says, is medicine for the soul. Uh, when Joshua Chamberlain was hit by a bullet that tore through his pelvis, and by the way, which he, an injury which he died from 50 years later, mm. he quipped, what will my mother say? Her boy got shot in the back. <laughs> Laughter is good for the soul and helps us not to take ourselves so seriously. Nine, uh, have you tried writing? You know, the big frustration for us stutters, particularly we stutterers who are full of words that we can't get them out, is not being able to get them out. And so writing has always been, for me, a great release. And for Peter Brown, he talks a lot about this too. Writing is a tremendous release because most stutterers are constantly substituting words they're never quite as good as the words they really want to say. Mm. But, but when you write, you, you can use your first choice and not your second choice word. Uh, ten, don't let stuttering define you. Um, Annie Glenn was able to be happy, as I said, for many years before she got relief from a severe stutter. She didn't let it ruin her life. Don't let your demon ruin your life. 
don't 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 let your stuttering become um, you know you know become your identity. You are more than your particular disability or handicap. And and you know John Updike, uh, you know even though we have a lot of problems with his personal life, uh, which I talk about in that chapter, he reveled in life. He he was always a cup half full guy instead of the cup is half empty. He he chose to see, and I think this is because of his Lutheran theology. Mm. Life is a gift. He he wrote, and in fact he talked about this. I find beauty in the ordinary. My writing is all about the beauty of God in ordinary, quotidian life. And then some tips on mechanics for stutterers. Don't forget to breathe. Slow down. Pay attention to triggers, like when you're real tired. Uh, and then finally, in number 12, be open to transcendence. Uh, you know, Peter Brown, the great, as Dr. George was saying, the great uh, Augustine scholar, said there's something about stuttering that makes those afflicted with it wonder if there's more to life than simply atoms and molecules. It helps us realize our finitude more quickly. And there might be an infinite realm and God who is calling us beyond our finitude to his infinite life. When when we regularly bump up our noses against walls that stop us, we wonder if there's a realm where walls and limits don't apply. Now, Byron Pitts, I talk about this in his chapter, he is a man of great prayer, great deep faith. He says God has always helped him with his stuttering, and prayer was his way of connecting to God. I love this book, Famous Stutterers. You know, if I were to ask a revision for this book, I think there ought to be a 13th chapter on Professor Gerald McDermott. You yourself are a famous stutterer, and you've written out of that experience a wonderful book. And thank you for this conversation on the Beeson Podcast about this book, Famous Stutterers. It's published by Cascade Books, which is an imprint of Whip and Stock. It's an inspiring and a practical book. I recommend it strongly. Thank you so much, Dr. McDermott. You're welcome, and thanks so much for having me on. Hi, I'm Kristen Padilla, the director of the Beeson Podcast. From time to time, we receive emails from you, our listeners, about the ministry of the podcast. And we are always blessed to hear how God is using it in your life. So we'd like to share one such letter with you today from listener Meredith McDermott in Maine. She writes, Dear Dean George, I want to thank you and Beeson for the podcast and archives you make available to the public. I'm a 65 years old grandmother and I live in rural Maine. I first found Beeson Divinity a few years ago while on a Google search for the Manhattan Declaration. I've tuned in every Tuesday since then to listen to the podcast. I use your app to listen to other sermons. I want to tell you that your podcast make me a stronger Christian. Christ has given Beeson to me as a great gift. I get clarification and encouragement. I now listen to Ryan Whitley every Sunday at Cross Point Church because I learned so much when he spoke on James. As a result of all your speakers on James, my Bible study plunged into the book of James and our understanding was expanded. It's Thanksgiving today, and I flipped through the sermons listed on your Beeson app and found God in the Ditch by Dr. Webster. I always listen to him. God uses that man in a mighty way. As Dr. Webster said, believing and doing are woven together. That's what Beeson has done for me. 
It has enabled me to grow stronger in understanding and bolder in bringing the gospel to and meeting the needs of the people in my life. We live in a remarkable time. Your outreach is great. It was woven today into my life and on into my family's and friends' lives. God bless you all. Thank you again, Meredith McDermott. Before each Beeson podcast, we pray that God would use the ministry of the podcast to bless you, our listeners, encourage the faithful, and even bring more sons and daughters into the kingdom. We love to hear from you, our listeners, and we thank you, Meredith McDermott, for this kind letter. If you would like to write us, you can write us at BDS, that stands for Beeson Divinity School, info, I-N-F-O, B-D-S-I-N-F-O at Samford, S-A-M-F-O-R-D dot E-D-U. We'd like to thank you, our listeners, and to wish you a very Merry Christmas from those of us at Beeson Divinity School. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.